Warning, the following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. You ready? 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 One, two, three, five!
podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we talk Nothing but sports for the next two hours before we go into the hour after show. Uh, I'm Steve. I'm joined alongside, as always, by Lou. Uh, We have a lot on the plate tonight, Lou. We have the NHL starting up. We have the NHL starting up. The NBA is right around the corner. We got the the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder trilogy fight to talk about, which, by the way, was an absolute classic. Yeah, uh, we also have we also have uh, the ALCS and NLCS to cover, as well as how yes. we got there. Um, and well, let's just say a major upset in college football today. Uh, yes. Actually, there might have been a couple. Um, but anyways, if anybody wants to call in and discuss uh, the. Uh, Everything tonight with us, you can call in at 657-383-1308. Uh, 
Lou, why don't we why don't we get started with Fury versus Wilder? Because you didn't get a chance to okay. watch it, but I no. you didn't get a chance to watch it. But I have a I have a feeling that you uh, you read up on it and everything, or you've oh, seen yeah. highlights. Yes. Yeah, I read up on it. I mean, I was trying to try and find a way to stream the fight, but no, would they let me do it? Of course not, son of a bitch. You know, and no, I, obviously you know, not. I wasn't think I wasn't thinking it was going to be this good of a fight. I mean, you know, third time around, they're you know are probably worn out from each other, but it turned to be one of the best fights in in recent memory. It went eleven rounds. Imagine that would have went. Yep. That would have went the full twelve. That would have been you know the ultimate classic. Huh. Yeah, it went it went eleven rounds, and here's the thing: Wilder started out right out the gate as the aggressor, yeah. primarily, uh, you know, landing a whole bunch of jabs and several clean mm-hmm. right hands. It was weird. It was like Fury; he wasn't really dodging like he like he was in in previous, uh, you know, the previous matchups, and it seemed like. Right. Fury sort of had to weather the storm a little bit almost. Uh, Fury did, however, make the, you know, make the first knockdown by uh, knocking down Wilder uh, towards the end of the third round with a right hook uh, to the temple. And, you know, a lot of people thought that Wilder looked very dazed and confused right after he got knocked down. Although, I mean, he did get right up almost immediately, but it was really weird. Like, it looked like was going to be – like, there was no way that Wilder was going to make it through the fourth. Right. But then all of a sudden, Somehow, we saw Wilder did. come back. Yeah, we saw Wilder come back and and knock Fury down twice later on in the fight. And – I mean, it was actually, yeah, it was, it was uh, the very next round. It was the fourth round. He got knocked down twice and it looked like maybe perhaps, you know, Wilder was gonna, you know, but he had Fury basically on the ropes, but I almost have to wonder, Lou, if this was a case of Wilder punching himself out because, it didn't really look like there was a lot of power later on in no. most of Wilder's shots. It was almost as if he had gassed himself out, which led to him looking like a zombie almost the last couple of rounds. Yes. And it has been confirmed he did officially break his hand in the uh, mm. during the fight. I think it was I want I want to say it was around the eighth or ninth round because it looked it, it looked strange when when I when he had to be talked to by the trainer uh, or by the by the medical doctor uh, at ringside mm-hmm. it looked very yeah. strange because you know maybe that it's possible that may have been why he. Uh, you know he was gun shy for a little bit uh towards the uh, towards the end of the fight but it did turn out he did actually he did actually break his hand in the uh right. in the fight and he will supposedly have surgery on it this upcoming monday or yeah this upcoming monday uh wow. and actually it says according to uh Wilder's co-manager he broke his right hand somewhere around round 6 
where in particular it was one of the middle metacarpals on the middle finger that he uh, oh. that he ended up breaking. And this will set him back about approximately three and a half months. He won't be able to train. Uh, and, you know, this this fight was so back and forth that a lot of people wondered if there may if there may be a reason to produce potentially a fourth fight out of this. Because of the fact that, I mean, even though Fury, you know, won the trilogy, two fights to, uh, well, technically one of them was a draw, but, uh, you know, two yeah. fights, no losses, and a draw, uh, you know, a lot of people wondered because of how competitive this fourth fight or this third fight was, if maybe there should be a, uh, if there should be a rematch, but when you take a look at the stat line, though, Fury definitely outstruck Wilder by a considerable margin. You know, it's it's really weird that it seemed like it seemed like Wilder was doing a lot of damage to Fury, but yet Fury barely looked like he was even hit. But, you know, with this being considered one of the best rubber match, one of the best rubber fights in boxing history, probably, uh, with how back and forth it was, do you think, Lou, that even though, even though Wilder didn't win a single fight in the trilogy, that there should be a fourth fight because it looked like he had... I don't think like so. I think had... enough is enough. Yeah, I I think you know, I, I think we've seen the end think, of this. I would think uh, I agree. I would I agree with you. I would think that after the fact that you go through three fights and you're still not able to beat the guy, what makes you think you will do any better on uh, in the fourth? You won't. It just it. it it's it's just weird because right around, you know, right right around the middle of the fight, Wilder definitely appeared fatigued. So it's like you pretty much saw Fury take over the fight, even though he got knocked down twice. Uh, you know, Fury, you could just you could just tell, just based off of uh, the later rounds that Fury, Fury was slowly and surely taking over the rest of the fight. And something was definitely wrong with Wilder because it really, seem, it really seemed like most of his punches, and keep in mind the right hand is his dominant hand, uh, it seemed like most of the punches that were coming from his right hand didn't really – provide the full effect that they're supposed to. Now, maybe that's because, you know, fatigue may have played a factor, but, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of have to wonder if maybe perhaps that was that was because his hand was broken. Yeah, I would think so. Because uh, otherwise it, it, it doesn't make sense as to why uh, – 
you know, he would still be throwing the same amount of volume of, of punches, but yet, but yet still not be able to provide the damage that he had provided earlier on in the fight, especially with his power hand. But, yeah, you know, I just just looking at it, uh, hopefully I can find the, uh, let me see what the scorecards were, actually, before the, uh, before the knockout in the 11th. Okay, here we go. The official scorecard, and apparently, let me see if I've got this right here, so... Okay, Tyson Fury was winning all three uh, before before the knockout. He was winning on the judges' scorecards, 95-91, 94-92, and 95-92. That just shows you how close this fight was. And, they, and the judges did officially score the fourth round, a 10-7 round, with, uh, with the two knockdowns by, uh, by Wilder. So that you know that just, that that just shows you how close this fight was. The fact that literally only three they were separated by at most four points, and considering considering what the score what the scores looked like across all three. It, I mean, it's obvious Wilder definitely needed a stoppage or a knockdown or a, a flat-out knockout in order to win the fight yeah. because because otherwise, uh, you know, Fury would – well, actually, no, maybe he would have won with a knockdown. He could have won with a knockdown as well. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, if, if he was able to keep Fury – if Fury was able to stay standing those final two rounds – Fury, Fury would have won on points. Although I would have given the 11th round to Fury anyways, uh, just based off of what was happening before the knockout happened. Uh, so now, obviously, of course, Fury keeps his uh, his heavyweight titles, the uh, WBC and the, uh, the lineal heavyweight titles. So uh, next up, I don't know... What would be potentially next up for uh, for Fury? But Wilder, he's definitely going to have a long, uh, you know, a long road for recovery because three and a half three and a half months he won't be able to train right. for this. Uh, it says here that uh, the WBC has ruled that. If the winner of this fight, being Tyson Fury, doesn't uni- doesn't have a unify uh, a unifying fight with Olex- Alexander Usyk next, then uh, he will be ordered to defend the title against Dillian White. So I guess it, it really depends on. It's basically going to be either Usyk or White that's going to be the next uh, the next fighter to take on Fury. Because uh, all indications, it sounds like Fury is healthy, so he, you know, he probably will be able to fight. 
I don't know if I would say soon. I don't know how quick of a turnaround uh, Fury can actually fight, but uh, Fury is supposedly healthy as he didn't really... Then again, though, usually he takes about a year in between fights, so maybe the next time we may see him fight... Well, actually, no. Wait a minute. He fought Wilder last in February of 2020. So, actually, yeah, it's over a year. So, we probably won't know Fury's next fight is for quite some time here. No. And probably the next time we'll see him fight is when he's 35, because right now he's about, he's 33 years old. Uh, 33 years and 58 Mm. days, actually, uh, last week. So, technically, he's 33 and 33 years and 65 days today. Um, Getting up there in boxing years. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of, it is kind of getting up there. Um, but with the win, Fury improved. Uh, he stayed undefeated, 31-0-1. Uh, and that was... Uh, I, forget, I forget how many knockouts he had to his... That was his 22nd knockout uh, of his career. So there's uh, obviously there's there's still definitely more more fighting life to, uh, down Fury's way, unless of course he he ultimately decides to uh, to hang them up. Which, considering he just came back from a sabbatical like a couple of years ago. I don't think he's going to be doing that. So uh, we're probably, it'll be either Usyk or, uh, or White that'll, that he'll be facing off against next. But uh, we do have, I want, I want to dive into uh, the ALCS because we did have, or actually first, let's talk about the ALDS because uh, I don't know if you yeah. heard about this story, Lou. I don't know if you heard about this story, but uh, going first to the Tampa Bay Rays series against the Boston Red Sox, everybody had already ruled out Boston after game one. And I know I, I probably should have mentioned this because we were talking about, we were talking about the series. I think it was, it was what uh, they were heading into Game Three, I think it was. Yes. When we were talking about it, uh, you know, I didn't know this until literally. The, uh, I think it was Alex Verdugo who mentioned it. He basically said that the Tampa Bay Rays they ordered champagne to be delivered to Boston. Yes, literally, literally right after Game One, after Tampa Bay dominated Boston in Game One. What team? I mean, first, first off, if you're if you're going to be that cocky and make sure yeah. that champagne is deliver and make an order for champagne immediately following your first win of a of a five game series, you deserve to lose right. after that. Right, what are your thoughts on that, Lou? Do you think do you think a team like the Yankees, you know, who has always been uh, used to winning uh, championships, you know, twenty seven World Championships, uh, do you think that 
the Yankees would do something like that? You mean be overconfident like that? No, not at all. That shows you know, that you know you're too overconfident, too full of yourself, and thinking you you know that happened and didn't. So that was that was that was pretty dumb. It's a pretty dumb move. Yeah. And basically, Boston swept the next three games against Tampa. Mm-hmm. Because even though uh, Tampa, I believe, if I recall correctly, they got out to a five nothing lead in uh, game yes. two, and Boston all of a sudden came back and tied it up, and it was almost like almost like sort of the wind was starting to get taken out of Tampa Bay's uh, sails right yeah. then and there. Because everybody thought everybody ruled Boston out. Oh, there's no way that Boston's gonna beat uh, gonna beat the Rays. As a matter of fact, Boston had one of the lowest betting odds out of all the playoff teams of winning the World Series. Yeah, and and now they're at a plus three twenty. Uh, I think it's like a plus three twenty out of out of the remaining four teams to win the World Series this year. With uh, the series tied at the ALCS currently tied at one apiece, uh, going back to Boston for three games. Um, but uh, let me get your thoughts, Lou. Were you surprised that uh, the ALCS ended up being Boston and uh, and Houston? Uh, wait, wait. Uh, repeat that again. Were you were you surprised that the ALCS ended up being Boston against Houston? Uh, well, it's, it's really tough to say. I mean, Tampa, you know, pretty much ruled the ALCS, but you can't really rule Boston. You, you, you never know; they can really, they can really, uh, you know, have a spoiler. So, I really can't say I'm, I'm not too surprised. I would have liked it if it went the other way, you know. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Tampa either, but as I said before, the less of the two evils, I think I would have preferred uh, Tampa Bay taking on Houston rather than the Dead Sox. Uh, no offense, of course. You know, we kind of we kind of talked about this last week too. Is that the yes. the one thing that might cost the Rays is the inexperience of their starting pitching? Yes, the fact that the fact that that most of their starters. Not only did they have no postseason experience except for Shane McClanahan, but they – or and Michael Waka too, but for some reason he only pitched out of the bullpen for some reason. Uh, but also the fact that a lot of their starters were literally late-season call-ups. Like they only had – I think a combined. I think two of them had a combined six or seven career games in the regular season. So I I I think that we were right when we said that you know the starting pitching uh, inexperience could potentially cost them, which it ended up doing. Yes, because. Really, once once you cancel out uh, Randy Arozarena and Wander Franco on that on that offense, 
once you cancel those two out, and also, I mean, technically you have to worry yes. about Nelson Cruz as well, but for the most part, there was a way that you would be able to get through Tampa's, uh, you know, Tampa's uh, starting lineup. I'm more worried, if anything, like if I were to put Tampa Bay and Houston's lineups together, I would be, like, side-by-side, I'd be more worried about facing Houston's lineup as opposed to facing Tampa Bay's lineup. Just based off of all the heavy hitters that Houston has. I mean, you got Altuve out there. You got Yuli Gurriel, Carlos Correa, who, by the way, just had his record tied tonight. Uh, Just had his record tied tonight by Rafael Devers, thanks to Rafael Devers' grand slam in a a record-setting night tonight. Uh, Which, by the way, the Boston Red Sox, they are the first team in postseason history to have two grand slams in one postseason game. Yuck. Never been done before until tonight, or until today, technically. Uh, and, you know, Houston going over the White Sox, I mean, I can't say I'm really surprised. I thought that Houston would win last week. And it's simply because they just – the White Sox offense just could not hang with Houston's offense. And I said this earlier in the week this week uh, in Sports Whispers, and I still believe it that the winner of Boston and Houston won't be because of starting pitching. It'll be because one team was able to outslug the other. Yeah. Because that really is what it's, that, that really is what, uh, what the, what it's really come down to a matchup between these two offenses. I ultimately, Lou, what do you think? Who, who do you think is going to be headed to the World Series uh, from the ALCS between Boston and Houston? Uh, that's a tough call, to be honest with you. Uh, well, if I were a betting man on this, I think I would have the – I'm going to go with Houston. Yeah, you know, Houston is the possibility – I mean, well, I mean, obviously, you know, they're one of the two teams remaining. But yes. the one problem I have with Houston right now is, well, number one, I'm a Sox fan. So that's, you know, a right. huge problem there. But uh, also is the fact that they are without their main starter. Uh, Lance McCullers, he is officially out for the series yes. uh, with, with uh, forearm tightness, which sounds like it could potentially be Tommy John. Depending on uh, depending on if he's able to recover, it could potentially require Tommy John surgery. Uh, and the other is they ended up losing their starter, uh, Luis Garcia, today Garcia, due to yeah. uh, right due to right knee discomfort. Which honestly, from the looks of it, I don't, I thought they were just trying to uh, I thought they were trying to fake an injury just to get him out of the game because he was in the second inning. He was in the second inning. He had given up a grand slam the previous, in, the previous inning. You know, things just, his, his velocity on a lot of his pitches were, were down on most of them. 
So mm-hmm. he just wasn't having a good day whatsoever. And I honestly feel like they wanted to try and uh, ice out uh, Nate Eovaldi because Eovaldi had a pretty yes. quick first inning. He had a pretty quick first inning, and considering he already had to wait 20 minutes beforehand that way uh, before he even got to pitch, then with the second inning, considering how long it took uh, for for uh, Jake Odorizzi to come out and warm up because of an injury, it literally we literally had a near 20 to 30 minute wait in between the injury call uh, and mm-hmm. the call to the bullpen for Odorizzi to get ready because he wanted to go through Odorizzi. his entire routine. So, to me, it didn't really seem like it was injury, and it was more of a way for them to try and ice down uh, Eovaldi. Mm. But regardless, uh, Boston did come away with the win 9-5 to five, uh, in regulation, May- thanks uh, majorly in part to grand slams by J.D. Martinez, uh, Rafael yeah. Devers and and a home run by Kike Hernandez, who, by the way, uh, has uh, he's he's one home run away from having the most postseason home runs uh, in a single postseason in Red Sox history, because yeah. he currently has five, uh, counting yeah. the wild card game. Actually, no, counting the ALDS, he has five. And let's say I already mentioned the Rafael Devers uh, thing. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting ALCS, especially if both teams can keep up the uh, the level of uh, of offense that they've been putting out. Especially with Game One being so close, five to four was literally yeah. The, uh, or or wait, was it? Wait, was it five four? Five four. Or was it? It was five four. Okay, I yeah. forgot if it was five four or six to five. I wasn't. I wasn't sure. But um, yeah. Ultimately, you know, this could end up being a very close series, depending on what happens uh, in the in the rest of the uh, in the rest of the series here. Uh, obviously, the NLDS, we saw Atlanta overtake uh, Milwaukee three games to one. And the NLDS, we had L.A. beat San Francisco in one of the mo- maybe one of the most controversial endings to a series. I don't know if you saw You mean the check swing? The check swing, yes. Yeah, I heard. The check swing that they call they they claimed that that he went when on replay it was clear that he checked his swing. Mm-hmm. It was very clear that he checked it, but they still ruled him. Uh, they still ruled that he uh, that he didn't check his swing. Yeah, and thus the Dodgers ended up advancing to the NLCS. Right, what, what are your yeah. thoughts on that, on that, Lou? Do you think, do you think he checked it or, or was the call right? 
Well, I didn't get a chance to see it, but from what I can tell, I think he did. I think he did check his swing, and the Dodgers got away with it. It's like I said last week, though. I think we're gonna. I think the fans are being uh, cheated that we're not gonna see the true great matchup in the in the A in the NLCS. You know, you gotta sell for Atlanta and the Dodgers rather than the Giants and the Dod- and the Dodgers because that would have been a better NLCS matchup. So. I hate to say it, but the fans yeah. here got screwed. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I and think I think, think Giants got screwed too. I think they, I think the fans got screwed. I, the Giants definitely got screwed in in Game oh. Five uh, with that. But I really think the fans got screwed uh, uh, out of a oh, yeah. uh, NLCS between the Giants and the Dodgers, and instead now we have Atlanta and the Dodgers, which honestly, honestly on paper, I would give it to the Dodgers right away. But, I mean, we do have a 2-2 tie right now uh, in two, two. the top of the fifth. Yep, 2-2 two, two right now in the top of the fifth. So maybe, perhaps, uh, Atlanta can keep it competitive considering they only have two runs on just three hits compared to mm-hmm. two runs on six hits for L.A. So, yeah, maybe they can keep it competitive. But it is possible. I wouldn't rule out Atlanta. I mean, they've always been a, a tough team, especially in the postseason. So, I wouldn't rule it out. I, mean, I, I think, you know. Mine too. The, yep. No, go ahead, Lou. What were you going to say? You know, because I, I, I think well enough. You know, uh, you know the the big shots. You know, they want you know the Dod- the Dodgers and Boston. You know, they're the two you know, two big city markets. And you know, of course, Fox would love that. I don't think they would have the same thing as say if it was um, Tampa and Tampa and Atlanta or Tampa and San Francisco or whatever. You know, they want two big city teams. You know, in there for uh, network rating sake. But uh, now you're not going to get it. Oh yeah, no, no. You know, Tam- first off, Tampa to begin with, they don't care. Has no they don't base. care about you unless they don't care about you unless you're the Buccaneers or the Lightning. Otherwise, they don't. Even care. Even the Lightning, huh? No, I mean, you know, if you're if un- unless you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Tampa Bay Lightning, they won't care about you. Right. And that's the case with the Rays. You know, with the Rays, you're in the postseason. You're supposed to have sellout crowds. Yeah. I definitely saw open seats. Yeah. At the trop. So, you know, I a lot of people have been saying this and I I almost I almost agree with them. I think we are not that far away from uh from Tampa Bay being relocated to Montreal for the Expos to return. Yeah. I would not be shocked at all because it would we, I. you know the postseason is normally where teams gain a lot of their profit. Right. It's normally where teams gain a lot of a lot of their extra profit, and uh-huh. you know Tampa can't even generate a sellout mm-hmm. in the playoffs. So that's sad. You know what is. It, it it just shows you that baseball is never going to be overly popular in in Tampa Bay. It's just not. How about Miami? And 
Uh, you know, I could see, especially depending on what mm-hmm. happens. And we have a – looks like we have a final here. Three to one, Boston just scored an empty net goal over Dallas. And it looks like Ooh. the Boston Bruins are going to take – uh, the win tonight over Dallas, three to one. Um, but you know, when, when it comes to Miami, I think it really depends because if you remember when they had Jose Fernandez before his uh, untimely death, they were very mm-hmm. popular down there down there in Miami. Especially because because of the fact that there's a lot of there's a lot of Cuban, uh, a lot of the a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of their fan base is, uh, is Cuban, or yes. you know they're basically a minority fan base essentially. Uh, you know it's possible that considering the amount of player considering the amount of players that. Uh, that make up the uh, that make up Major League Baseball. A lot of them are uh, minorities, so it's possible. You know, maybe perhaps there might you could potentially see. I honestly think it's they're probably it's probably more popular in Miami than it is in Tampa. I mean, granted, yeah, you know, Miami okay. isn't getting the crowds. Uh, granted, Miami isn't getting the crowds, but that's because they're not winning. I think if they were winning, it would be a completely different story. Hell, maybe uh, maybe if Miami didn't have a team, you know, Tampa could possibly move to Miami, and maybe perhaps they would get a better, uh, you know, a better reception, a, a better, uh, you know, better yeah. attendance compared to what they get yeah. uh, down at Tropicana Field. But, you know... Ultimately, it it just is what it is right now with, uh, with yeah. the Tampa Bay Rays. But I agree, though. Uh, you know, I think the networks they would prefer to have a potential Boston LA rematch, or I would even put Houston in there. You know, I think Houston uh, would have drawing power mainly because mm. of the whole cheap. Mainly because of the whole cheating scandal, people will want to tune in to see them lose. <laughs> I get. It. I was thinking, why would you, you know, want to? Why would you want to see? You know, because they went all through that. Because you know, that kind of tarnishes the game. Yeah, but at the same time, people will tune in to want to see them lose. It's sort of like uh, it's sort of <laughs> right. like why. It's sort of like why people tuned in to all the Super Bowls that Tom Brady was in. I mean, partially because partially because it's you know the Super Bowl is the biggest event in football, but also is the fact that you know some people tuned in just to just to watch it, just to potentially watch him lose. That was their main motivation. So, you know, I think it's definitely possible they could get the same thing out of Houston than they would uh, uh, out of a uh, Boston LA matchup. Or rematch, I should say, technically. Yeah. Um, but Atlanta, I'm not really sure about Atlanta because it really seems like Atlanta's only really popular in Georgia. 
and that's mainly it. I like the Braves. But you know you know what I mean, you know, that you you know, like with with New York, for example, you have fans maybe maybe in Pennsylvania, may you have fans in Connecticut. Well, uh, I think you got fans you know. in the south really in the south, uh, from say like uh Maryland all the way down through down through Georgia, even in some parts of Florida. So I wouldn't say that they're not popular. Okay, yeah, you know what? You, that does kind of make sense a little bit. With yeah. maybe some of the maybe some of the closer states, they may have fans uh, mixed in. Absolutely. Uh, the one, the one, the ones closer to uh, Georgia, that is. Um, but. You know, I just I don't think we would get the same viewership from and from Atlanta representing the National League, even though they would be probably the better matchup for Houston or Boston, uh, as opposed to Atlanta or yeah. as opposed to LA. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I think that more than likely it is probably going to be L.A. that's going to represent the National League. And, you know, it is entirely possible that they could uh, they could end up repeating uh, as World Series champions this year. Because, I mean, you take a look at the acquisitions they made at the deadline. And the fact that they were able to get both Trey Turner and Max Scherzer yeah. – in one package from the Washington Nationals, it's it's almost like how do you compete with that when you? Although wait a minute, I should I should add that they did also lose Clayton Kershaw, so that kind yes. of cancels things out, I guess. Uh, the it fact does. that they they lost they lost Clayton Kershaw due to injury, but they all but they did bring in Max Scherzer. And they ended up getting Trey Turner for some reason, uh, which creates a big logjam in their infield. And you know what? This is actually an interesting fact. Uh, if if the World Series is Boston and Atlanta, yeah. I did not know this until today. Boston would actually host game one and game two, despite being a wild card team, because they got the better record to the world series. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. 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 Like you said it, Lou, the better record. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter where you finished uh, in the regular season. If you were a wild card team or if you were a, uh, you know, a, a divisional champion, whoever has the better record, We'll start off. Uh, we'll start off as the uh, the host for games one and two, and if it's Boston and Atlanta, then it'll be Boston. However, if it's LA versus anybody, it'll be LA. Right. So I had I literally had no idea about that until I uh, until I I read about it today on Twitter. But you know, Lou, while we're on the topic of baseball, uh, let's discuss the New York Yankees because 
There yeah. were quite a uh, there, there were a number of decisions that were made this past uh, this past week that uh, have quite a bit that will have quite a big impact on next year's uh, on next year's team. Uh, Marcus Timms, the hitting coach, was fired. Well, not fired, but they parted ways uh, with Marcus Timms. Yeah. Joining joining the Yankees back in 2016 as an assistant before taking over the lead spot in 2018. Uh, they were a combined uh, – they were 13th in a combined OPS, which was uh, 72.9%, and uh, 19th in runs scored this year, despite having relatively healthy years for Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. Uh, and obviously last week's wildcard game resulted in a 6-2 loss against the Red Sox, despite having all that, all that hitting. Uh, also, they released uh, or they, par- they parted ways with third base coach Phil Nevin following his yeah. absolute disaster of a performance in the wildcard game. So what what are your thoughts on on those two releases, Lou? Yeah. I'm not shocked really at all. What I was really shocked about though was the Cardinals uh, dumped their uh, one of their staffs, even though they were 18 in a row, but they still they still fired him. Yes, uh, Mike Schultz, the uh, their manager, Mike guiding Schultz, yes. guiding them to a 252 and 199 record since taking over for Mike Matheny. And right. they were on a they were on a run they were on a run of three consecutive postseason appearances under Mike Schilt's watch, and the reason being that was President John Mozeliak said that philosophical differences in yeah, where the means. team was headed and where the team was headed was uh, what led to uh, to his uh, dismissal. Basically, the president. Basically, basically, the president wanted to go one way. The manager wanted to go another, and the yeah. president obviously won out. So, I it is very shocking yeah. that they got that they uh, they cut ties with him uh, already, just three years into his uh, into his run. I would not be shocked at all. Uh, to see Mike Schilt get picked up very quickly once he once the uh, the managerial market opens up this uh, this winter, yeah. and especially with how, how how many wins in a row did you say they had? Seventeen. It was seventeen actually. Seventeen. I and and with a ninety and seventy two record, you know yeah. it just. It just doesn't make sense. And plus, he was a former National League Manager of the Year, too, winning yeah. the award in 2019. That's I mean, maybe. It just doesn't make sense. You know, maybe perhaps it might have to do with the fact that they lost uh, consecutive wild card appearances, potentially. Maybe. Um, I just, I don't know, because. I mean, he led them to the NLCS in 2019 with a similar record, 91 and 71. And 
obviously last year with the COVID shortened year, uh, you know, he led them to the playoffs with a 30 and 28 record in the shortened season. And this year with a 90 and 72 record, he led them to the playoffs. And plus, when he took over from Mike Matheny, he, uh, in the 69 games that he managed, he had a 41 and 28 record back in 2018 when he first got hired. So it just really doesn't click. I'm kind of wondering if maybe perhaps it has to do more with the fact that I, I know they, I know they cite philosophical differences, but I almost have to mm-hmm. wonder if their postseason record played a factor here. You know, sometimes it does play more effect. You know, you do so on regular season, and then you know you do think in the postseason, but like you know, I'm tired of you losing the postseason every year to, to, to these things like that. You suck. Get out of here. You know, so I think maybe that might yeah. have been you know a factor. Because he's four and nine in the postseason career. Okay, that's cause for grounds of uh, dismissal. So. Uh, you know, I'm I'm almost wondering if that mainly had to do with it, and they're just oh, trying yeah. to, and they're just trying to pass it off as philosophical differences. Bullshit. Okay, so I'll give it yeah, to me, it's. I don't know how it could be philosophical differences, considering the fact that the team is a contend. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe they're not a contending team but they're at least a couple of steps away. I mean, they are a playoff team considering the last three years. So, you know, maybe it's just, it's just more of a case of, I guess, I guess the president expects them, expects, expects them to contend for, for a world series wins every single year. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's one thing for the Yankees to have that because the Yankees have the team to do it. I don't think the Cardinals really have the team makeup to do it. No. I I seriously doubt that. No. So, you know, I would would consider, yeah, okay, if it's World Series or bust for the Yankees, yeah, that's one thing because they have, yeah, the team makeup and everything. They have the hitting. They have the pitching. I think, honestly, their main problem is the coaching, essentially, uh, essentially for the most part here. So, oh yeah, uh, I'm I'm still surprised that uh, Steinbrenner is sticking with uh with Boone. Honestly, I really am surprised. What would George do? George would have fired him before the season was even over. I thought so. Honestly, he would have fired him when they when they were on right one now. of those major when they were on one of those major slumps. He would have been fired yeah. right on the spot. Right. Or if anything, he would have been fired immediately following the wild card game. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, George didn't pump a lot of shit. Yeah, but. Obviously, you know, he knew exactly when to pull the trigger, which apparently for some reason his sons don't know. No, he doesn't. I mean, I always thought he'd be fire like some, but uh, in this case, uh, no. 
But regardless, you know, I, I expect uh, obviously I expect the Yankees to be back to be back in the thick of things next year. Uh, hopefully, they get a better hitting coach for for Yankees fans' sake, and hopefully, they get a better third base coach who actually knows how to how to uh, send runners home when uh, well, so we have a season. You know, when year. they have yeah, when they have when they have enough space. That is unlike Aaron Judge, who was out long before he even made it uh, to home plate. Yeah. Right. Uh, speaking of managers, uh, Tony La Russa said on Tuesday that he's hoping to return as the White Sox manager next season. Uh, it's up to White Sox ownership and whether the players want him back, supposedly. Uh, I guess, you know, La Russa was very controversial with how he treated some of his players this year. Yeah. Uh, from from multiple things that I've heard. So, uh, also age does play a factor too. Uh, he would be entering his seventy, his age seventy seven season, and ultimately, you know, ultimately, I think it's impressive the fact that they even won the American League Central this year uh, for the first time since two thousand and eight, uh, despite having. Uh, a coach who almost looks like he's headed towards the senior citizen home. Ooh. And plus, he also had all those off the field issues, all those DUIs and everything, right, yeah. and the fact that he, uh, you you remember when he when he uh, dared to say to the police officer arresting him, uh, mm-hmm. he tried to uh, he tried to intimidate him by going, "Do you know who the hell I am? I'm a I'm a Hall of Fame coach." Or something like that, you know. It's 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 distractions like that that the White Sox may want to think twice about in when potentially bringing him back. But, but speaking of the White Sox, though, uh, the White Sox are expected, according to Bob Nightingale of USA Today. They are expected to exercise their $16 million club option on Craig Kimbrell and then trade him oh, yeah. later this winter. As he did, he did lock up a dominant first half uh, for the Cubs before joining the White Sox at the trade deadline, uh, but then struggled to a 5.09 ERA in 23 innings of setup duty for the White Sox. He also surrendered three runs on three hits and a walk in, uh, or and a walk in two uh, innings in the ALDS, as they fell to Houston in four games. Now, right now, he currently stands as the active major league leader in career saves with 372 saves, uh, all time on the leaderboard. He's currently in ninth, so. You know, maybe perhaps there might still be there might be interest on the trade market uh, for him, especially if he can show next season that you know he he can still be the same pitcher that he was at the at the front half of this season. So you know, there's there's still probably a lot of uh, still probably a lot of. Uh, of a career ahead of him for, yeah, you know, for, for Craig Kimbrell. 
good news on the Lance McCullers front. Even though he is likely out uh. for the ALCS, he he was not he was not included on the ALCS roster, so he is officially right. out. However, uh, it says here that the MRI showed no major long-term concerns uh, and that potentially he could return for a potential World Series appearance if Houston is able to advance. Uh, It says here that his right forearm injury is muscular in nature, not structural. However... The reason why he is left off the roster is he is not he is not currently able to throw right now. So therefore, you know there would be there would be no way that he'd even be able to to make an appearance even if the, even if they they extend the series uh, if the series goes six or seven games for example. But at least for the long-term health of uh, of the ace of the Houston Astros staff, there is no structural damage. So that's good news for the uh, for the Astros. Well, Lou, uh, obviously, you know, with college football still going on, we had the uh, the huge upset last week of Texas A&M over Alabama. Uh, Alabama seems to have rebounded nicely, uh, 42-9 currently. Currently 42-9 over Mississippi State. Uh, It seems like they're pretty much much right back to where they were, essentially. Um, Their main problem was they just ran into a tough tough Texas A&M team who – ended up picking up a win over Missouri earlier today. Uh, we did have a couple of upsets earlier today. Uh, Auburn over 17th-ranked Arkansas, 38-23. Baylor over 19th-ranked BYU, 38-24. Uh, LSU over 20th-ranked Florida, 49-42. Maybe the biggest one, though, is the Purdue Boilermakers completely yeah. exposing the Iowa Hawkeyes offense with a 24-7 to victory over Iowa. I think it might be safe to say, Lou, that following I, – I don't, I don't know what you think about this, but following this, uh, this complete stall by the Hawkeyes offense, do you think it's possible they may they may potentially drop as far as maybe out of the top ten? Huh. I don't know if it'd be that severe. I think they'll still stay in the top ten, but uh, you know, probably maybe like seventh or eighth. I don't see them dropping you know that far out. But you definitely you definitely don't see them staying in the top five though. No, no, no. Obviously, you know, Georgia, with their win over Kentucky, they stay at number one. Uh, I would expect maybe could we see Alabama creep back up there? Five, um, you know, they'll stay in the course of the top five. They'll, they'll go right back, I think, uh, three or two. 
Because, yeah, you know, I think the big question is, you know, with uh, fourth-ranked Oklahoma currently beating TCU 38-21, the question is, you know, does Oklahoma stay in front of Alabama? Does Alabama leapfrog Oklahoma? You know, uh, there's a possibility that Cincinnati, with their win over UCF today, 56-21, that we could see Cincinnati finally get the crack at the number two spot. Who would have thought that? I mean, we never thought Cincinnati was a real powerhouse team. Yeah, look at that. Now they're on the edge of getting near the top spot. Yeah, it is very surprising, especially, uh, you know, J- JB even said even said it last week when he joined us on the uh, on the after show right. that normally normally the Bearcats aren't, you know, a powerhouse team, and they're currently six and zero right now. I mean, because, you know, uh, considering you're from a weak conference. Granted, yes, it is within a weak conference. Uh, But, I mean, somebody's got to be number two. Yeah, although it sucks to be number two. Yeah. I mean, uh, taking a look at their their upcoming schedule, they got got a pretty easy schedule, honestly. They face Navy next week. Then they face Tulane, followed by Tulsa. South Florida, really, if if anything, their only tough matchup coming up is SMU, who is yeah. also coincidentally six and zero right now. Right. You know, I'm not really sure. I would crown Cincinnati as you know. I think they may honestly be a little. Uh, I wouldn't really put my stock behind them as being even number three right now. Right. When you take a look at some of the teams that are below them and who could potentially beat them, I mean, let's just take a look at some of the teams that are currently in the top 25. Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma could potentially beat Cincinnati. I think that's Georgia, I think Georgia I think Georgia would definitely beat Cincinnati. Uh you know, Cincinnati may beat Iowa because we saw Iowa get exposed today. So I mean there's a there's a couple there's a couple of other teams, you know, Texas A and M, Texas A and M would probably right. beat them. I'm damn sure. I'm I'm damn sure Alabama would probably beat them. Maybe even embarrass them. Yeah. I uh, you know, I, even though they're not going to be ranked anymore, I would almost think Texas might beat them. Oh yeah. The Longhorns. Oh, so, you know. I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not really sure now about about Cincinnati, considering once when you take a look at their schedule, and their their conference is almost a gimme conference. Essentially, it is. I mean, oh yeah, that's another thing too. Ninth ninth ranked Oregon would probably beat them too. Yeah. And just when I thought my team was making headway, now they've lost four in a row. Thanks a lot. But, I mean, 
you know, just taking a look at some of the at some of the teams they faced. I mean, they faced Miami, Ohio, Murray State, Indiana. Okay, somehow they beat Notre Dame. Uh, Temple. I mean, Temple. They're almost uh, they're almost on the same level as UMass. And you, you know, I, and UConn. You know. I don't really put much shit. stock into that. I mean, a fifty-two no, no, to three demolishing, with... a fifty-two to three demolishing of Temple is nothing. No. And uh, you know, UCF. Okay, maybe UCF is a little bit higher up there. So really, maybe their their only two impressive wins this year have come against Notre Dame and UCF. Right. Yeah, I got but you. But a bit though, because UConn did win the game today. How do you like that? Kind of surprising. Yeah, over Yale. I, uh, uh, you know, especially UConn. UConn, that was their first win, right? Or did they beat UMass last week? I would be I forgot, but I'm really surprised that they did. But uh, you know, UConn is not really known for football. Yale is, so that is kind of surprising. My cousin's not happy. He went to yeah, Yale. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, you actually no. UMass beat the shit out of UConn uh, last week. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, you, you know that. So that was UConn's first win today. Mm. And we got wait for the rivalry game of all. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some other games that are currently going on, uh, NC State is manhandling Boston College 31-7 right now. Uh, Ole Miss, Ole Miss with a five-point lead over Tennessee, 24-19. Obviously, as I mentioned, Alabama currently dominating Mississippi. Uh, Oklahoma with a comfortable lead over TCU right now, 38-24. Uh, some of the finals I didn't mention: uh, Michigan State with a twenty to fifteen win over Indiana, uh, Oklahoma State thirty-two twenty-four over Texas. Uh, let's see, I mentioned Auburn, I mentioned Baylor. Uh, still to come tonight, we have Arizona. Actually, Arizona State and Utah should have kicked off by now, I believe. They're on ESPN. Yeah, just starting. Just starting. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan were all idle this week. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, finals, obviously, from earlier this week. Uh, Oregon or, over uh, California, 24-17. San Diego State over San Jose State in two overtimes, 19-13. Uh, let me get out of the top the top twenty five here and let me look at What was that? Can somebody tell me how though it takes four hours to complete a nine baseball game? I mean really. Yeah, you know uh you're talking are you talking about Houston in Boston? Yes, yes. 
Yeah. You know, I, I really did not understand that. Uh, in particular, I think, what was it? Are you talking about last night or earlier today? Today. Last night was bad okay, enough. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was bad enough, like I mentioned. It took them almost 30 minutes to, uh, to, bring, in a, uh, to bring in a starter, uh, Jake Odorizzi. So, because, because obviously, you know, when a, when a player gets injured, uh, they have as much time uh, as they need to, uh, to warm up another, uh, another pitcher mm-hmm. to come in. It's absolutely so, ridiculous. Yeah, you know, uh, I I read some. Granted, they were mainly Boston uh, people, but you know, there were some <laughs> yeah. writers that were there were some writers that were saying every team should should have the rule that if there's say that say there's an injury that takes place, yeah. every team should have the the same rule and have. Uh, Basically, have their start. If they're going to bring in a starter, have them throw the same amount of pitches, the same amount of warm-up pitches that exactly. a reliever would throw. Now, I understand. I understand. Game. You know, I understand the starter. Uh, Odorizzi came in. He not, he. They didn't have him up in the bullpen throwing or anything. Right. You know, and. It took him 15 minutes just to stretch out before he would even, you know, touch the pitcher's mound. I mean, they went through, I don't know how many, uh, granted, I was watching, I was listening on the radio at the time. I don't know how many, I couldn't tell you how many commercial breaks they went, they went through before they finally, uh, you know, before they, before he finally touched the pitcher's mound. And it's not like he ran out to the field. He literally walked the full length of the field out until he got to the pitcher's mound. Then he asked mm. the umpire, oh, hey, can I throw long toss with the, with the uh, catcher to help loosen myself I up? Toss. I mean, it was just ridiculous the amount of time he was taking to get ready. And that take, that obviously – you know, that contributed to the four-hour-long game that we had today. I mean, it was, nine, it was a nine-inning game, and it still took you four hours and eight minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great. One of the games is Boston. You know, I, they're known for that. And, you know, I will, I, will, I will say I like this about the postseason, that they switched it to uh, the fact to the fact that the – you know the extra inning rule, right? Where you have keep it, keep it. a runner, where you have a runner, you have a runner start on you have a runner start on second yes. uh, at the top at, uh, for every extra inning. Yes. Instead, they've gone back to the uh, to the regular rule where it starts out as just any regular inning if you're in extra right. innings in uh, in the postseason. That's what I love. So much about this postseason is the fact that we don't have to deal with because uh, I mean it ha- it has to be one hell of a uh, nightmare having to start off a re- having to start off an extra inning in the postseason well, with never, a runner that was on never second base. For postseason, Steve, that was never in time for the postseason. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying, thank God. Yeah. Keep the rule. 
just the fact that it was never intended. I mean, regular season, okay, I understand. You know, people want to get games done with uh, quickly during yeah, the regular season. But, you know, as far as the postseason goes, leave it out of the postseason. There's just no need yeah, for it. But, yeah. you know what, let's regular go into – yeah, yeah, definitely. Regular season, no problem. I have no problem with it during the regular season. But let's talk about the big story that came out this week in the NFL. Obviously, yeah, we, mentioned, we mentioned earlier last week about, uh, about the stuff that John Gruden was going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the whole part about um, about him basically being, uh, you know, the emails basically from his time at ESPN. Apparently there was new stuff that was put out by the New York Times that revealed right. rampant homophobia and misogyny. And the emails, which surfaced in a different investigation than the one that revealed his racist language, they were sent in a period between 2011 and 2018. And these new emails were part of a chain with ex-Washington football team executive Bruce Allen, one of Gruden's former bosses. And these emails, Gruden using a homophobic slur to describe Commissioner Roger Goodell, as well as his complaints about the league hiring female referees and his disgust at the St. Louis Rams drafting an openly gay pass rusher named Michael Sam. Who, I mean, he's out of the, he's out of the league now anyways, but still, it's, it's just shocking in both insensitivity as well as retrograde thinking. And he was already barely weathering the storm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely uncalled for. And, you know, he was barely weathering the storm as it was with the email Mm -hmm. uh, involving Damari Smith, but then to have all that extra stuff come out, I mean, my God, it's it, 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 it's just, it's just unreal the length that uh, that was reco- that was revealed, and the reason why is because this all came from an investigation into the Washington Football Team franchise, right? But the thing is, why they let this drag for so long? I mean, they, you know, they should take care of it. You know, right away or something. You had drag out for eight, for seven, eight years. There was no need for that. That's a good question. Because if it was, if it was something, uh, you know, if it was something as bad as this, which of course it was, you would think that they would want to get, they would want to get the stuff out there right away. I would. The one thing I can think of is that either the league or the owners wanted an excuse to get rid of them. And uh, that could be a factor too. I mean, think, think about it. 
it isn't a coincidence that this that the rest of those emails leaked out right no. after the email about Damari Smith leaked out. Right. And it was it was described by Pro Football Talk as the NFL basically pressuring Vegas into firing Gruden if Gruden wouldn't step down himself, which, yeah. of course, he did end up stepping down. Uh, he did officially resign as yes. head coach of the uh, of the Raiders, but the NFL, uh, according to Pro Football Talk, they believe that the NFL was trying to force Vegas into firing right. Gruden, and if they didn't, they would just release more and more damning information. Yeah. Or they would so leave the old... more damning information. Yeah. So it's when the oldest said, you can't fire me, I quit. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, he did He did take the last few days before his firing to try and save face, or before his resignation, I should say, even though it, technically he was fired. Uh he claimed right. that there isn't a racist there isn't a racist bone in my body, uh, which uh, that that proved to be a flat out lie. And not only is he liar. racist, he slammed gays, women in the NFL, and Commissioner Roger Goodell. He will. You could say that this basically marks the end of his football career. Period. Yeah. Because there is no. T- you know, I will even say this. He won't even come back as an analyst. There is no way that there would be any team or any Never. network that would ever think about bringing him on after this. Unless you're that stupid. And this comes after completing less than three and a half years of his 10-year, $100 million contract that he was given by the Raiders. Let money go to waste. Wow. You know, that more makes me feel like this may have been orchestrated almost by Vegas. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about it, who signed – which NFL head coach is signed to that long of a deal? Unless you're like Bill Belichick or something. Right. Oh, no. You know, there's nobody that is signed to that long term of a contract. Not worthy. Now, in his uh, in response to his resignation, uh, the Raiders they promoted assistant coach and special teams coordinator Rick uh, Rich Bisaccia to uh, interim head coach. Uh, he was with John Gruden back when Gruden was in Tampa Bay. And he joined his Vegas staff alongside Gruden, Gruden in 2018 when Gruden returned, returned to the sideline. Uh, I'm kind of puzzled by this because I would have thought that they would have gone with Doug Peterson. Considering Peterson, yeah. is on the, uh, Peterson is on their coaching staff. And obviously you know he has super bowl experience he won a super bowl mm-hmm. with uh you know he 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 has won uh he's won a super bowl with the uh, with the philadelphia eagles 
Yes. So I'm kind of surprised. I would have thought that 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 they would have gone with uh, with Peterson, but mm. I guess you know. Uh, Maybe the fact that this guy has been with Gruden from the very beginning, so maybe he knows right. Gruden's uh, he knows Gruden's game plan and everything. So you know, it would make se- it would make sense for them to to stick with a guy who knows Gruden's system and how it works and everything. But mm-hmm. regardless, you know this this team really seemed to have turned around under Gruden. So I think it's possible, you know, the, the Raiders, they have been on a, on a two, a two game losing skid. I think it's possible this, that the Raiders could possibly only go downhill from here. Despite cutting out the cancer, despite cutting out the cancer now. I mean, what what are your thoughts, Lou? Is there any way that they can really recover from from this, or has this basically has this one distraction potentially derailed their entire season? I think it has derailed. It's it's tarnished, that's for sure. And I don't know how they're going to go with this season. Probably even next season. So I think it's going to be you know damaging for uh, quite a few uh, a little while to come. Yeah, because when you think about it, they're uh, yeah. probably they're probably going to have to restructure their entire uh yeah. You know, they're probably going to have to restructure their entire team essentially. Yeah. And how they run things. And get really ugly in a hurry. If it hasn't already. Yeah. Speaking of really ugly, uh Kansas City they are headed on a downhill slope right now. Yeah, with a two and three, a two and three record, uh, their prized signing of the offseason, Joe Tooney, he suffered a broken hand against the Bills. He's going to undergo. Yeah. Uh, it looks like he's probably going to undergo surgery. So, he may potentially uh, he may potentially be out for an extended period of time. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He's injured. He ended up uh, leaving the game with a uh, with an MCL sprain, so he's going to yeah. miss a couple of weeks. I mean, Kansas City right now, it they're already down, but I mean, these are two pretty considerable losses that they're suffering here. Yes. You know they they have a horrible defense this year. I mean that I mean that doesn't that doesn't matter anyways with these injuries. Uh, but you know they have a, they had a horrible defense as it is already, and now they lose their top running back for a couple of weeks, and they lose probably their top guard for. God knows how long, depending on uh, depending on whether his hand requires surgery or not. So you know, uh, with a two and three record, and the Chiefs they have allowed more points than they've actually put out there. So 
It's not looking good for the Kansas City Chiefs here. No, and ever since, you know, last year when we lost, you know, the playoffs and after the Holmes injury, I kind of thought they were on a downward trend here. Yeah. Meanwhile, the uh, the winner of last year's Super Bowl, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, they just continue to roll on despite the uh, injury problems with their defense. Isn't that amazing? Five and one now uh, over yeah. the NFC South. And – with the Panthers, with the Panthers losing Christian McCaffrey for the next three weeks, possibly more, because he was put on injured reserve today, and and with the Saints being being helmed by, uh, well, I mean Jameis Winston, the human error, as I like to call him. Right. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that this, uh, you know, this. This season may already be uh, – this division may already be locked up by Tampa Bay. The toilet. I mean, it's it, – it just seems – it just seems like no matter how many injuries that Tampa Bay gets, yeah. you know, they, they, they just seem to persevere. Now, meanwhile, your Cowboys, though, good news for the Cowboys, uh, the NFC East, the NFC East, it looks like they're probably going to be in the driver's seat for pretty much the entire season. I mean, they're going to have a, uh, they're going to have a tough matchup against a tough New England defense this week, Uh, but... It's possible they could they could potentially outgun the new the New England offense, uh, despite New England being two and three and Dallas being four and one. Uh, it's you know things are looking good in uh, in Dallas for the uh, for America's team as they as they used to call them. Uh. So what do you what do you think, Lou? What do you think about about the start that Dallas has gotten off to this season? Oh, wonderful! If it wasn't for a little mishap in the first game, we'd be undefeated too. And Dak is having a spectacular year. Yeah, you could almost you could almost say uh, Ezekiel Elliott as well. Elliott is yeah. seems to be having a bounce back year after. Yep. Uh, but third year change MVP. Been, yeah, you could you could almost say it's it's he had kind of a lackluster last couple of years, but it kind of seems like he's starting to turn things around finally. Yes. Now the NFC North, obviously the Packers, they are uh, currently out front with a four and one record, but the Bears are creeping up there three and two uh, with Justin Fields as their. Uh, with Justin Fields as their starter, they are kind of creeping up there slowly but surely. Uh, the Lions, well, that might, they're that out of it. Their choice. You know the the Lions, the Lions are out of it. The Vikings, I mean, they're two and three, but I mean, let's be realistic. Do you, does anybody really see the Vikings coming back this season? No, I I honestly don't. The NFC West is going to be very interesting, in particular between the Cardinals and the Rams. 
The Cardinals, man, I'm telling you, Kyler Murray, he really looks like the quarterback that everybody thought he was going to be coming out of college. I mean, he's probably the hottest quarterback going right now, apart from apart from uh, from Brady, that is. Well, and also Matthew Stafford. Uh, Stafford isn't doing too bad himself with L.A., a 4-1 record, uh, just below the Arizona Cardinals out in the NFC West. Seattle, they're going to have problems because not only are they without right. Russell Wilson, but now Chris Carson, their lead running back, is now on yeah. injured reserve for the next three games. So it looks like uh, Alex Collins will probably be the lead back out in Seattle now, which honestly, that's probably not good news. And with the night, as far as the Niners go, you know, they lost George Kittle, uh, Garoppolo, who knows when he's going to be back. So it looks like uh, the Niners, they're probably out of it as well for the, for, uh, you know, at this point. Now, Arizona, they did lose Max Williams uh, as he suffered a season-ending knee injury this past week against the 49ers, taking a brutal shot to the right knee, and he ended up having to get carted off the field. Uh, But, I mean, he was a very consistent part of their passing game, catching catching all 15 targets that were thrown his way from week two to week four. And he took up nearly 66% of the offensive snaps for the Cardinals during that time. But now this means that Daryl Daniels, who is currently on the COVID-19 list, is now going to be their number one tight end moving forward. So that right there is a pretty huge loss for uh for Arizona, despite them having a 5-0 and record currently. Mm. On the AFC side of things, uh, Tennessee, they lead the AFC South 3-2, to two and it lo- or three wins and two losses, and it looks like it looks like there's no competition in that division. I mean, the Texans, no. they blew the Texans blew a lead to the Patriots, the Colts they blew a lead to, to the Ravens. It looked like the Ravens were dead to rights on Monday Night Football. And then all of a sudden, the Ravens miraculously come back and end up winning it in overtime thanks to a couple of, uh, a couple of misses by Rodrigo Blankenship. And the Jaguars, the Jaguars were never in it to begin with. Uh, AFC East. Looks like it's probably, if anything, it'll be between the Bills and the Patriots. But let's be honest, the Bills right now so far are running away with the, with the division. So it's probably going to be the, the Bills representing the AFC East this year. Uh, the, the most that the Patriots can hope for is maybe a wild card, uh, you know, a wild card uh, berth. Over in the West, the Chargers, I mean, with the Raiders and Broncos going on a downhill slope right now, the Chargers may potentially run away with the West if they can gain more momentum. 
barring a comeback from the from the Kansas City Chiefs, but it's going to take a lot for the Chiefs to come to overcome those injuries. Yeah. With what they've got currently and the fact that they already have a horrible offense or a horrible defense. Actually, let me look. One how many <laughs> It's 163 given up. They have they have given up the most points in the NFL with 163 points given up. So, yeah. Barring some sort of comeback, it looks like the AFC West may belong to the Chargers unless the Raiders and Broncos can keep pace with them. Right. The AFC North, the AFC North, it's kind of the same thing. The uh, Ravens, they're four and one. Uh, the Bengals and Browns are both three and two. Steelers are two and three, but with the way things have been trending for the Steelers, it doesn't look good for them. So it's probably, you know, unless the Bengals and Browns can keep pace with the Ravens, it looks like the North is probably. Uh, it's probably going to be run by the Ravens this year, yet again. Good news uh, for pa- for the Patriots. Uh, they're running back Damian Harris, who ended up uh, suffering a rib injury in uh, the game against Houston. Uh, he right. has been officially described. He has been officially described as day to day. Tests have ruled out anything significant. Uh, he did leave the game twice last week in the third and fourth quarters, and he also fumbled a ball away at the goal line. I still don't understand why he why uh, he has butterfingers all of a sudden. Uh, it does say here that it looks like he will be. It does say he looks like he'll be in shape to take the, to take on the Cowboys as the lead running back again. Uh, considering the fact that he is day to day. But who knows? Uh, What's interesting, though, is it sounds like with Marlon Mack potentially being shopped around the league by the Colts, uh, the Patriots may be one of the teams that may potentially call on him. That's a name to potentially uh, look out for uh, with the uh, trade deadline coming up in the upcoming weeks for the NFL. Uh, Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury will uh, will be sidelined this week after testing positive for COVID nineteen. Yeah. So he will be he will be out for the Week Six matchup against the Cleveland Browns. Their oh, quarterback yeah. coach Cam their quarterback uh, coach Cam Turner will also be sidelined with COVID nineteen as well. And this is a pretty yeah. big deal considering the team does not have an offensive coordinator. And Turner is probably the primary backup plan if Kingsbury were to ever be out. So now it sounds like the team, the team website has guessed that offensive line coach and run game coordinator Sean Kugler may uh, may play a role with the offensive play calling this week due to Kingsbury and Turner both being out. Since when has a team not had an offensive coordinator? 
Uh, yeah, I find that very suspicious. I mean, I understand Kingsbury technically acts as the offensive coordinator and the head coach, but still, there's a reason why teams are supposed to have offensive and defensive coordinators. Yes. Uh, it says here, de- defensive coordinator Vance Joseph and special teams coordinator Jeff Rogers will split head coaching responsibilities with Kingsbury being out. Uh, Kyler Murray is reportedly going to have the ability to also call his own plays more often this week because of Kingsbury being out. Uh, Yeah, needless to say, it's probably going to be a clusterfuck for the Cardinals against the uh, Browns with with the the lack of a – with the lack of an offensive game plan this week, yeah. Hey, you know how I, you know how I mentioned that the Steelers were going to have a tough time. Uh, that's because mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster is out for the season with shoulder surgery. Yeah. He suffered a painful shoulder injury on a vicious hit against Denver last week. Right. So now. He will enter free agency. He signed a one-year prove-it deal because he didn't like any of the deals that were being presented to him on the open market. This was supposed to be a contract year for him. And now it looks like he's probably, you know, going to just have to settle for another prove-it deal, it seems with him having to undergo surgery all of a sudden, all of a sudden here. Right. <laughs> For, uh, you know, it's, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Dennis Schroeder uh, with the LA Lakers or formerly the LA Lakers. Right. You know, that uh, there are some players that feel that they're worth more than they're actually worth. So, Instead of taking a deal, they instead, you know, choose to uh, instead instead of signing, you know, a uh, a contract extension during the season, they decide, no, I want to test the open market. When really, they probably could have gotten more with the contract extension than what they got on the open market. So this is, you know, one of those cases with Juju Smith-Schuster, and now. He's basically going to pay for it because this was only a one-year deal that he had signed. Uh, so we do have some Giants news as well. Uh, according to NFL Network's Ian Rapoport, uh, Kadarius Tony will likely avoid a suspension after being ejected from last Sunday's game for punching a Dallas defender. Uh, oh, yeah. I say that he will probably he will probably face a fine uh, for the incident. Joe Judge could punish him, however, as after they got blown out by Dallas, the judge didn't dismiss the possibility of a team-issued suspension for for, uh, Kadarius Toney. Despite breaking out against the Cowboys for 189 yards on 10 catches. Uh, this game has now gone final. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes with a 3-2 to victory over the Nashville Predators. 
Uh, let's see here. Also, it says here that Saquon Barkley, he suffered a low left ankle sprain last week, and he is likely to miss their game this week against the L.A. Rams. And he is considered as week-to-week, according to Ian Rappaport. So it looks like Devontae Booker will now be the team's primary running back with, uh, with Saquon Barkley out of commission. Uh, also, uh, Kenny Galladay, he suffered a hyperextended knee against, uh, against the Cowboys. So he's going to be out against the Rams as well. And who knows if he'll be, if he'll be dressed for uh, weeks seven and eight against the Panthers and Chiefs. So needless to say, there's, an, there's basically the walking wounded essentially, in the uh, New York Giants uh, locker room. Train wreck. Also, uh, Coach Sean McVay has said that cornerback Darius Williams is out for week six against the Giants for the L.A. Rams with an ankle injury, and he is a candidate to be put on injured reserve. As he went down late in uh, last Thursday's win against the Seahawks, and it looks like he is probably staring at a multi-week absence from what it looks like here. Uh, also, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, uh, teams have inquired about trading for the Ravens' multiple running backs. Uh, league sources are saying mo- that multiple teams are interested in making a deal for Latavius Murray, Tyson Williams, Le'Veon Bell, or Devontae Freeman. And the uh, basically the idea is that with the Ravens making Williams inactive last week, perhaps that inspired teams to check in on the explosive runner who appeared to be the best in their injury-ravaged backfield, as he had 188 total yards in the first in the first two games for Baltimore before being completely phased out of the offense. And from what it looks like this week, it looks like he's probably going to be out again this week. So look at potentially Tyson Williams uh, being on the move from the Baltimore Ravens. And now, Lou, we go to our diva report of the night, and that is uh, coming coming out of the NBA as – uh, apparently, yes. Sixers official Sixers officials have been talking with Clutch CEO Rich Paul. Yep, who happens to be who happens to be the agent for Ben Simmons, and yep. they are apparently progressing on talks to bring back Ben Simmons to Philadelphia. Why? As because Philadelphia needs their needs their best point guard. I mean, because, you know, this is, you know, like I said, this is also a soap opera as well, um, you know, what has been going, going on, you know, after weeks ago saying that he never wants to play for Philadelphia again, then he lures back into the office, office with Doc Rivers and the general manager, and, it's, you know, it's just like, you know, it's an ongoing saga, and it's just, just plain out ridiculous at this point. Look, you want to stay yeah. or you want to get out? Make up your mind already, you jackass. Yeah, and it's 
I mean, the the thing it says it says here that they claim, you know, it's claimed that the plan remains for the Sixers to continue canvassing the league for trades. Right. But the possibility of Simmons reporting to the team has increased in recent days. Uh, and yeah. head, coach Doc Rivers, head coach Doc Rivers has been adamant that both he and the team want Ben Simmons back this year. <sighs> so to, to me, this just seems like a way of they're going to try to appease Simmons by saying, yes, we will continue to look for a trade for you, but we need you to play in order to do so. Because honestly, that yeah. would probably affect his that would honestly affect his trade value, wouldn't you think, with him sitting out? I think it would too, yeah. I would think it would. And you know, if he if he plays and if if he plays and plays good and he still wants out of Philadelphia, then yeah, Philadelphia can then make a move. But right. If anything, all he's going to be doing is hurting his trade value by sitting on the sideline. It hurt the team as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it only makes sense for him to come back, swallow his fucking pride, and, you know, play. Because that gives the Sixers the best chance to win. Right, because they need they need that playmaker in their starting five. I mean, yeah, he he may not he may not have progressed offensively like like uh, fans have wanted him to, but he's still arguably the best playmaker on their uh, on their offense. Okay. Uh, we do have some NHL news, obviously, with the NHL uh, taking place. Oh, by the way, it's now two to nothing, uh, Edmonton over Calgary, uh, with oh, yeah. about one with about one forty to go in the first period here. Uh, but we do have some news when it comes to. Uh, when, it com- when it comes to contract extensions, in particular, uh, one player who has been taken off of the trade block officially uh, with this deal, Matthias Ekholm, has been signed to a four-year, $25 million contract extension, uh, which is a slight increase from his original $22.5 million contract. Uh, he has currently one season remaining on his existing six-year, $22.5 million deal. So now he is officially locked up through the 2025-2026 season. And without this deal, he would have become an unrestricted free agent this summer. Uh, he's obviously been a major part of the Predators' defense, averaging more than 22 minutes in each of his last five seasons. And he had six goals and 23 points in the 48-game-shortened season last year. So ultimately, this is, you know, obviously huge news uh, for the Nashville Predators. They keep arguably their best defenseman on the roster. And considering they're starting off the – I mean, they're starting off the season on a piss poor note right now. With a oh, granted, yeah. they've only played one. They've only played one game so far, but uh, 
you know, starting off the season on a on a uh, piss poor note. It's only it would do them more, you know, uh, more good than harm in the long term to keep him on to keep him on the uh, on the roster. And now they don't have to worry this off season about potentially ex- uh, extending him. What are your thoughts, Lou, on this uh, on this contract? So four years, twenty five million. That means he's making about six and a quarter million per per season. Wow! Under this deal, for for a for a defenseman, he had six goals and twenty three points last year. So six goals, seventeen assists in mm-hmm. a shortened forty eight game season. When you think about what that would probably translate to through a full 82-game season, you're probably maybe looking around 10 goals, maybe maybe 35, 40 assists potentially. So what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Lou? What are your thoughts, Lou? Do you think do you do you think it was uh it's a worthy contract six six and a quarter years per or i mean six and a quarter uh million dollars per four years um but with those numbers not really no i mean i think it is show more no. than that you get that kind of you know, kind of like, well, I, does I, it think, kind of, I think that's good much does it seem like it was kind of a panic move by uh by nashville Hmm. Well, it depends on if it's a panic mode. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's say they're in one, but maybe that's what they that's what they were thinking. Well, they were probably worried, you know, that they wouldn't be able to re sign him uh wow. once okay. they hit so free agents. Yeah. You know, and considering I mean obviously they could potentially trade him uh at the trade deadline. But who knows what kind of a return they could potentially get for him, considering he would be a rental, as opposed to, you know, now he has a contract extension. If they were to decide to ever to, to trade him for some reason at the trade deadline this year, he would probably fetch a lot more, as opposed yeah. to, as opposed to an expiring contract. Uh, one other player who uh, signed a contract extension, uh, Ryan Pulak of the New York Islanders, uh, he signed a eight-year extension reportedly worth 6.15 mil per season on this deal. And basically, he said he said uh, when commenting to the media, he basically said he just really wanted to be able to focus on the season and kind of clear his head of contract talk. And focus on what they needed to on what they need to accomplish, uh, which obviously is bringing a Stanley Cup to Long Island, or it's no longer Long Island because they're not on a, they're not playing at Nassau Coliseum anymore. Right. So uh, obviously, you know, the big thing is they're on the cusp, basically contending for a Stanley Cup. So they need to basically lock him in now while they have the chance to do so at, at, at his young age of 27. Uh, so he'll be 35 or 36, I think, 
depending on, wait a minute, let me see, yeah. when is his, so he just turned 27, so technically he right. will be, he will be 34, actually, when he signs his next, uh, when he signs his next free agent deal. He'll be 34, about to turn 35 yeah. when this eight-year deal is up. So, yeah, it's a pretty big, uh, good long deal. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, a pretty big deal for the New York Islanders. And keep in mind, uh, this is a guy who has scored. Uh, keep well. First off, he's a defenseman, but he, this is a guy who has scored yeah. nearly 10 goals in three consecutive seasons. From 2017 to 2020, he had he had uh, three two seasons of ten goals scored and one season of nine goals scored. Yes. Uh, obviously, obviously, last season was a shortened season, so he only managed about two goals and 15 assists for 17 points, which is I wouldn't say a career low because his career low was in his first season where he only averaged right. he only got four points, but Normally, this is a guy who can provide you around 35 to 40 points, uh, you know, per season. So, this is a huge deal for for the uh, the Islanders' blue line, and you know, this probably makes this probably is gonna is gonna keep them or help keep them as a contender uh, for the next couple of years to come. All right, what are your what are your thoughts, Lou, on uh, on this uh, on this extension for uh, Pulak? Mm. Well, with the Islanders, you know, they're just trying to build, you know, on their chance of getting getting West Stanley Cup. They came close last year, and you know, with that, they may be looking uh, looking to build on it. So that might be the, that might be the move uh, right there, so to speak. Yeah, and this would be about God knows how many how many core players uh, that this makes that they have uh, re-signed because they re-signed yeah. quite a quite a few they re-signed quite a few players uh, that were key to their uh, to their development last season, and now that they've got Pulak locked up, you know it's their D line is is pretty much set. For the uh, for the future here. Uh, another player who just locked up an extension also happens to be on the defensive line uh, is Charlie McAvoy, the assistant captain for the Boston Bruins. Oh yeah, uh, he signed he signed an eight year contract extension with the Bruins at an average annual value of nine point five million dollars. Nine, 9.5 mil per year for eight years, which makes this officially the richest contract in Bruins franchise history. The Bruins franchise defenseman, his new deal now runs through the 2029-2030 season. Just 23 years old. Played in 235 career regular season games, and he has already compiled 122 points for his time with the Bruins. 
Now, granted, obviously, last season was uh, was shortened, but he did have uh, five goals, five goals and twenty five assists last year, along with uh, along with ninety two shots, eighty blocks, and sixty five hits, while averaging around twenty four minutes of time uh, of time out there on the ice. And actually, I, I just I just looked at it. It is uh, it's, it equals out to seventy six million dollars uh, as the as the total amount of uh, on his uh, on his contract. So, needless to say, Lou, you know this is obviously this is obviously one huge contract. Exactly. That, uh, that he that he's up for him, and the thing is, he does average for a defenseman in his first four years in the league. He has averaged around thirty to thirty-two points a season. Uh, right. He has been very he has been very crucial on the Bruins' power play, setting up uh, setting up uh, different goals. As a matter of fact, through four years. On the power play, he's had a total of 14 assists while on the power play. So he has been one of the big one of the big parts of not just their power play but also their defense in total. So ultimately, you know, the Bruins decided to give him this big deal, which I mean, it just falls in line with all the other big deals that were signed this off season by uh, by free agent yeah. defensemen, and he probably would have been asking the same. Actually, he probably would have been asking for more uh, had he hit the free agent market because a lot of people were saying he could make around eleven to twelve million dollars per year on the free agent market. Uh huh. But now. Uh, he signs with the Bru- he re-signs with the Bruins at around nine and a half million dollars per year, and he's just twenty three, so you know he'll be thirty one by the time his uh, he'll be in his prime by the time his next deal uh, comes up. So, what are your thoughts on this one, Lou? Uh, That's a tough. That's a tough one there. Because I mean, he is a consistent performer. You know, yes. thirty at least thirty at least thirty to thirty-two points a season. Uh, as far as the plus-minus goes, I mean, the lowest plus-minus he's had is a plus fourteen. Right. Which means yeah. which means he's been out there. Which means he's been out there on the ice a lot more times, uh, you know, while they've scored as opposed to when he's been scored upon. So the highest he's had is a plus 24. And usually he averages around, usually he averages around plus 20. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty good for which is pretty good for a top line defenseman. So yes, I kind of think Still that about Mac- in, about in, McAvoy, right? Yeah, McAvoy. McAvoy. 
he's a good player. I like Charlie. Yeah, you, you know, and, and the thing is, too, he grew up on the Long Island as well. Right. He grew up uh, He grew up uh, as an Islanders fan who yeah. just happens to be playing for the Bruins right now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the well biggest with the, uh, thing, you know. With what? It doesn't steal over well because uh, Islanders and Brewers and Bruins fans, you know, they can be praying after each other almost as much as the Rangers and Bruins. So uh, that's kind of crossing yeah. line towards enemy lines. Yeah, kind of. A little bit. Yeah. Kind of. But, you know, the one thing I can say about this deal as opposed to the other two is mm-hmm. I think the reason why they gave him nine and a half mil per year is because he still has more years to develop. He still isn't right. – they feel that he hasn't reached uh, his peak potential of where they could potentially see him as being one of the top defensemen in the league once he finally fully develops. But right now, at the age of 20 right? – Usually it's – yeah, usually it's in between the age of 26 and 27. Like, yeah, once you're okay. in the middle – once you're in the middle of your age 26 season, that's usually right around the time where, okay, we have a, you know, teams have a pretty good idea of where you're going to, you know, where your career is going to go down. Like if you're going right. to, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a top two defenseman for years to come, or if you're just going to be, you know, if you could go on top four or, you know, reduce yourself potentially down to a top six defenseman. But the fact, you know, just the fact that, that so far he is pretty, I mean, it says something when the, when the top defensive line used to belong to Zidane Chara and they demoted him and they demoted him for Charlie McAvoy. You know, they feel really high with this kid right now. Yeah, but they do. So, you know, just for that, uh, just for that, for that point alone, I mean, and also he is a playoff performer as well. Uh, He joined the Bruins in his age 19 season, actually. He didn't play in the regular season uh, in 2016, but he did play in the playoffs that year, and he contributed three points, uh, three assists, in, uh, in one series uh, for, for Boston. They ended up losing in the first round that year. But he has been a playoff contributor, uh, through five seasons, he has five goals and 27 assists for 32 career uh-huh. points in the playoffs. So, through 65 playoff games, might I add. Uh, so, not you bad, know, he definitely he al- he already has. Uh, you know, he's made a trip to the Stanley Cup Finals as well under yeah. this Bruins team. Now they didn't they didn't win. Obviously, that win went to uh, St. Louis, but. You know, he does have the playoff experience at only 23 years old. So, 
you know, it, they definitely see something in him that warrants giving him such a high contract. And that's one thing. Compare, that's why, you know, with Ryan Pulak and Matthias Ekholm, you didn't see them getting as high of, as high of deals uh, for average annual value as opposed to what the Bruins gave McAvoy because McAvoy still has years left to improve. And it's possible that once he does, you know, the the next couple of years go by, he'll improve as uh, as high up to the point as where people will potentially look at the nine and a half million per year as a potential steal. Right. For the Bruins organization, that is. Uh also, we got Brady Kachuk. He signed a seven-year, $57.5 million contract with the Ottawa Senators. Why do they sound so, so familiar? Because he's, he's Keith's boy. Keith's boy. Keith's boy. That's what I thought. God, am I that old to remember Keith? Oh, I must be getting old. Yeah, I, well, he's. When was the last time that Keith played, actually? It's been a while. But I remember when he played, and I'm pretty huh, – Not he, 51 now. So. 2010, I think it was, it says here. 2010. He, huh. played for, he played for the St. Louis Blues, I think. Run a second. Okay. Yeah, 20, 2010, he, he started off his career with Winnipeg. Started off with Winnipeg back in 92, or 91, I'm sorry, 91 yeah. into 92. Then the he went Winnipeg to Phoenix. Jets. Yeah, the old Winnipeg Jets, that is. Uh, then he went to Phoenix for a couple of years. Then he went to St. Louis, got traded to Atlanta, and then re-signed with St. Louis and finished off his career basically with St. Louis. So, yeah, but that's, that's, uh, that's Keith's boy that, uh, that signed the massive, uh, the massive contract extension here. Uh, Really? Yep. Wow. Okay, so this this completely turns things around here. So, with the Braves winning game one, wow! And wait a minute, I need to see I need to see who the uh, who the Dodgers starter was. 